to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, good day, and I'm glad you've joined us. Somewhere around 88,000 evictions were performed in the city of Detroit in a single year, 2019. That represents about 13% of all city residents who experienced some disruption to their home situation. And that was before the pandemic hit and sent unemployment rates and other negative economic indicators off the charts. New research from Poverty Solutions at the University of Michigan suggests more tenant protections are going to be desperately needed to prevent the massive housing crisis that was already happening in Detroit from getting a lot worse in the near future. That is where we begin the conversation today on Detroit Today. And joining us to talk more about this issue is Jennifer Herb Downward. She is Senior Research Associate at Poverty Solutions at the University of Michigan. Jennifer, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah. So uh, let's start with that number, 88,000. Uh, 88,000 Detroiters who experienced some sort of eviction or were otherwise forced from their homes in a single year. It is a huge number. Tell us what is inside that number. What does that actually mean? So what that means is that there were 88,000 roughly 88,000 people who were either evicted or forced to leave their homes in a single year before uh, the impact of COVID-19. So we're looking at people both who were evicted formally, people who may have uh, lost their house or housing due to some sort of foreclosure, tax foreclosure, mortgage foreclosure. Really, this is any type of forced um, loss of housing. Mm. And the reason that this is an important number to, to be thinking about is because up until now, there have been a lot of different statistics that we've seen. You know, you know, there are 35,000 evictions that pass through the courts every year, or, um, you know, we've looked at the, the number of uh, houses that have been uh, lost due to um, tax uh, foreclosure. But this is really combining all of these different pieces that uh, we see across the city as impacting people's housing stability and letting us get a sense of what is the cumulative impact of this on residents. And, you know, so what, what these numbers show, and they're from the Detroit Metro Area Community Survey, that's an ongoing survey taking place um, in the city, is that 13% of residents, um, and that's where you get the 88,000 uh, people, are were forced to leave their home uh, for some reason uh, in the course of just one year. Mm. Uh, And when we talk about that number, that 88,000, I think you have to put that into the the context of the poverty that Detroiters deal with in, in incredible numbers all the time. There is a direct link, of course, between poverty and housing instability. Yes, there is a direct link, and that's one of the reasons why this number is so important to think about now, because with the economic impact of uh, COVID-19, what we see is that unemployment numbers have really uh, jumped, uh, the most recent April unemployment numbers, um, and those are around 50% of uh, residents in Detroit uh, were reported unemployment employment in those uh, most recent numbers. And that is a huge increase in the number of people who are experiencing 
economic strain and poverty uh, in the city. Uh, so if this was the situation before the economic impact of COVID-19, because these numbers, this 88,000 uh, residents, it, it's from 2017. Mm-hmm. So if that was the situation, the level of housing instability that people were experiencing before uh, the economic impact of COVID-19, the situation is going to be so much worse if we don't put protections in now uh, to help maintain stability for residents. And if we don't think about how we continue those protections in an ongoing way to really help residents, to help tenants, to help landlords, uh, we need to be thinking about how do we maintain housing stability in the city. Um, And this is both critical from the standpoint of, uh, you know, just the economic impact of having a stable home, but also from a public health impact, because social distancing is critical to uh, reducing the spread of COVID-19. And if people don't have a stable place to live, it is incredibly hard to practice uh, social distancing. You don't have control over who you're interacting with or where you stay. So this is both critical from an economic standpoint uh, and also from a, a health standpoint in the context of the current pandemic. Mm. Uh, so, so let's talk specifically about the ways in which we're seeing the pandemic and the economic effect of uh, the pandemic make this housing crisis worse. Uh, obviously, unemployment, which is going through the roof, is, is one way that that's happening. Uh, but there are some other dynamics at work as well because of the problems that we had in the housing market here before in Detroit that are also exacerbated by, uh, by the pandemic. Uh, talk about some of those. Well, what I would say is that, you know, I think all of the different uh, factors uh, are sort of, you know, pushing on people right now. We already had, um, you know, issues around housing repairs, issues around uh tax foreclosure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, large numbers of cases going through the eviction court. But then underlying all of this, uh, what this research shows as well, is that there's actually a fundamental shortage of housing units in the city of Detroit. And now this might surprise people because, you know, usually uh, when we think about uh, Detroit, we think, well, okay, you know, it, it's the population is half of what it was at the city's height. And so, you know, there is this sort of general assumption that there is a lot of housing in the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, the more important question is, is that housing livable? And so we're not just talking about, you know, maybe there's need for repairs, uh, which there is a lot of research out there showing that there's a huge need for repairs um, um, among in housing uh, in the city of Detroit. But really just this fundamental question of do those units actually exist? Mm -hmm. Are they, you know, in any condition to be be lived in? And so uh, what we did at Poverty Solutions was we looked at the Detroit um, Blight Survey from 2013-14, and we used that uh, as a sort of a base to calculate how many of these units that are um, said to be vacant, you know, in um, the uh, census are really actually so uh, blighted that they are either in need of being demolished or would uh, at the very least need severe 
or serious intervention um, to make them um, inhabitable again. And when you take that into account, what we're looking at in the city is a somewhere around 24,000 unit uh, housing unit shortage if you compare um, the number of housing units to the most recent population estimates uh, from the census. So that's really another issue that needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. So in the immediate, the main takeaway is if somebody loses their housing, they really don't have a place to go. They're either being forced to double up with another family, they're being forced to rely on the shelter system, or they're being forced to leave the city or possibly live in um, a unit that is actually uh, so blighted that it shouldn't be inhabited. Um, and, you know, there's evidence in, in the records of deaths already happening. There are about 5,000 people um, who are uh, known to be receiving mail at uh, houses that are owned by the land bank. So these are houses that would, you know, count as uh, being blighted and in need of, of um, intervention. So. It's a very severe problem in the city. Uh, my guest is Jennifer Herb Downward. Uh, she is a senior research associate at Poverty Solutions at the University of Michigan. We're talking about the housing situation in the city of Detroit, both before the COVID-19 pandemic and after it. Uh, 88,000 people experienced some sort of home disruption in the city of Detroit, eviction or otherwise uh, losing your home before the pandemic was even an issue. Of course, the pandemic with uh, its economic disruption and other issues is making that problem worse. We're talking about what needs to be done to make sure that the crisis we were already experiencing doesn't get much, much worse because of COVID-19. If you would like to join the conversation, give us a call. Are you a tenant uh, or a landlord? Give us a call and tell us how the pandemic has affected your housing situation or your relationship with your tenant or your landlord. Uh, we especially want to hear from tenants who have faced real financial hardship during this time and who are worried about their ability to keep up on their rent and therefore keep their homes. We'd also love to hear from landlords who have tenants who you'd otherwise be trying to evict because they're behind on rent, but they can't because of the moratorium that is in place. Uh, we want to talk about this from both sides of the equation. Tenants who need help desperately right now, but landlords who are providing housing uh, who may not be able to just uh, float that housing without money for a really long time. They say that they are going to need some relief as well. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, again, we really want to hear from people who are struggling right now to figure out how to keep their homes, how to stay where they are, uh, because of the economic disruptions that uh, COVID-19 is inflicting on all of us. Uh, before we go to listeners, Jennifer, I, I want to talk a little about the moratorium that is in place um, and the idea to extend that moratorium, which of course would protect tenants, but would put more strain again on landlords. And in some cases, you're talking about landlords who aren't big companies who have you know, economies of scale that they can kind of uh, absorb some of these things. Sometimes you're talking about people who own one house or two. Uh, what's the answer to that that balance that we are going to need to strike there? 
Sure. I think that's a, a great question. And what I would say is that a moratorium on evictions really is only just a first and temporary step. It can't be the only thing that's done because then we're just pushing back the point in time where we're going to see a flood of evictions. So, you know, the moratorium on, by the state was uh, extended to June 11th. Um, so that has been something that is extended. But then, you know, in addition to that, you're right. Landlords uh, uh, need support uh, to be able to pay their mortgages. Um, and many of the landlords that we're thinking about are small landlords and larger landlords also are needing support. So one thing that we need to be looking at is how are we going to spend some of the federal relief money that's coming through. So specifically some of the community uh block development grants um, that have come through. So one potential option that people are talking about is how could that money be used to provide both tenants and landlords with with relief. So enabling tenants to pay back uh, the rent that they owe, um, either back rent or uh, future rent. Um, so again, sort of providing this buffer uh, for both tenants and landlords while the economy um, gets back up on its feet. So that's a piece there that is really, really critical to think about. How are we going to spend um, some of this money that's coming in federally so that we can be helping both landlords and tenants um, past just this emergency, okay, let's keep people where they are now and not uh, force people um, to have no place to live um, which is what the eviction moratorium is really is really doing. That's just a temporary piece, and then we need to be planning for this next step of how do we, you know, restart uh, paying um, people's back rent and and uh, current rent owed going forward. Yeah, I mean that that idea of back rent and having to catch up after this moratorium is over that that that, that just uh, I think portends really badly for a lot of. Families, it's the same situation, in fact, that we have with water shutoffs, which also mm-hmm. were suspended uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, and when that suspension ends, there will be people who still have uh, balances uh, that they have to pay and figure out how to come up with money for. And there's just not there's not a realistic, I think, expectation that people will be able to do that. Yeah, that's also a really great point. I, I think. One thing that we need to be talking about there, and this is something that's been done in, a, a few, in some other states, uh, Connecticut is one that, that comes to mind, but um, providing a grace period for the payment of back rent. Right now, you know, 50% of people in Detroit are unemployed on, based on the, the current numbers. Most people are not going to be able to uh, pay the rent that they owed for April um, or May, given the current context of the economy. And we don't want to have a situation where rent is just piling up um, and then uh, people were just, again, delaying people being evicted. So one model that has been put out there is to provide a grace period for um, rent uh, during the time of state of emergency. Um, And then in addition to make sure that legally there is an option for tenants and landlords to negotiate the back payment of rent. So um, some of that rent maybe could be, again, 
um, assistance. The city could decide to use some of its community block development grants to provide assistance for payment of back rent. Um, so that's one option. Um, but the most important thing is that there's a dialogue going on between tenants and landlords and a real good faith effort to negotiate. How do we make sure that all parties are able um, to you know, get by through this incredibly challenging time. Um, so both the grace period and uh, negotiation uh, clause, I think, are, are critical to consider in the city. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We are talking about the housing crisis that existed in Detroit before the pandemic and how the pandemic has changed that crisis, maybe making it much worse or at least the potential for it to get much worse. We really want to hear from you uh, if you're a landlord or a tenant uh, and struggling with uh, the the economic disruption of of COVID-19, worried that you might not be able to stay where you live, for instance, uh, worried that you may not be able to keep renting a home that you own uh, in the city because you're not able to collect rent in the in the way that you were before. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work them into the conversation. Let's start with Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey, Gene. It's unfortunate that the policies that the city has maintained for a long time have done nothing but exacerbate uh, the situation. I'm talking about uh, the misuse of the hardest-hit funds, which favored demolition, uh, a lot of money to contractors over uh, rehabilitation and repair, the failure to implement ordinances like the nuisance abatement repair to own, which would have opened up affordable housing opportunities for low-income, the water shutoffs, all these things together, including the the selective gentrification that forced rents up uh, beyond the ability of many people to pay, uh, all these things together uh, have created really a perfect storm. Mm. And it's a political uh, solution to these economic and social problems that's desperately needed now. And right now, the leadership of the city has shown uh, no uh, uh, really, uh, ability or will to uh, address those. And I'm awfully afraid that most of the federal money that's going to be coming in aid here is going to be used to plug holes in the city's budget. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Gene, uh, really appreciate the call and the, the perspective. Uh, uh, Jen, Jennifer, or downward, uh, we have this, this as Gene points out this kind of this kind of uh, wicked mix of, of policy and uh, economic factors that have made this this kind of mess uh, that, that that again we were facing before COVID nineteen. I, I wonder if you can sort of add to the policy context in terms of change things that we ought to be doing really differently, regardless of COVID nineteen and the pandemic. You know what. What I would say is I think that this, first off, this is exactly a conversation that needs to be taking place. Right now, I think the best thing that we can do is actually view this as an opportunity to change these dynamics. Um, 
you know, first off, realizing how many people are being impacted by um, evictions and losing their homes. Um, I mean, 88,000 people is more people than there are in Southfield, Michigan. Um, so, you know, we're talking about a level of instability on an ongoing basis um, in the city of Detroit that is completely unsustainable. And so part of um, part of our hopes in releasing some of these numbers is really to just quantify the level of instability and how unsustainable that is so that at this point in time we can look at how federal funding coming in, what different laws currently exist, and think about how those can be changed so that the city can come out of this stronger than um, it, it was before COVID-19. Um, that's going to take a while, obviously, but we need to be thinking about affordable housing development, and we need to be thinking about how do we help uh, tenants maintain uh, housing stability. Right now, um, the current dynamics are stacked um, in a way that is not in favor of, of residents maintaining stability, and that is not something that any city can um, continue on with and hope to see residents and the economy thrive. And so I think the caller is making really, really excellent points. And these are things that need to be addressed. And this is the time and the opportunity to address them now. Um, because if we don't, things are going to, um, you know, become so uh, bad that, you know, it's, I, I don't even know how to frame, frame that, but, you know, before the context of, of the pandemic, things were already so um, starkly challenging mm-hmm. uh, for residents that, you know, given the economic situation now, um, imagining what it would be like if we don't do something proactive and change those underlying dynamics that were driving this so that we can move forward um, more effectively is, you know, it's just something we have to do. Yeah. So my hope is that this actually, we can turn this into an opportunity um. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Herb Downward, uh, Senior Research Associate at uh, Poverty Solutions at the University of Michigan. Really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and continue our conversation about housing. We want to continue to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Beverly in Detroit, Bernadette in Old Redford, and Megan and Warren. We will get to you next. Again, if you want to join them, give us a call or go to Facebook or Twitter. Put comments there and we'll try to work them into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. 
And as always, thanks for tuning in. We've been talking about the housing crisis and how the COVID-19 pandemic could make it much, much worse for people here in Detroit and Southeast Michigan. As tenants ask for more protections after the eviction moratorium is over, there are some landlords who are pushing to have that moratorium lifted as soon as possible. And they say it's not in anyone's interest to destabilize housing providers during this crisis, that they need relief, too, as they are not getting the rent that they count on to be able to support and provide the housing uh, that they do. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And uh, we have someone uh, here, an attorney, Metro Detroit attorney, who represents landlords and property owners with us, Matthew Pellet. Uh, Matthew, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And again, as always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone's call and tell us what your experience has been with eviction here in the city of Detroit or in the suburbs. Tell us how the COVID-19 pandemic has made your housing situation perhaps look a little different, a little more desperate than it did uh, before. Um, Matthew, I'm going to start with you, though. Uh, give us a sense of what your clients are going through right now in terms of their finances. We have talked a lot about tenants and the struggles that they're having. Landlords are having a hard time, too. Yeah, you know, there, there really are no winners here. Um, you know, a lot of my clients are small business owners. Um, a lot of them you know, or small investors, they went into the rental business to make some extra money or, you know, to bolster their retirement or for their kids' college. Um, they are dependent on rents being paid. Um, plus, you know, there's a lot of other businesses that uh, flow from the um, property ownership business. Um, there are vendors, um, you know, like landscapers. There's a lot of tradespeople uh, to work on these houses and, and multifamily units. It's just affecting a lot of people. And what does that does that mean for a lot of landlords that they won't be able to continue to be landlords? Uh, and, and talk about that dynamic uh, between landlords and tenants. I mean, landlords are often painted as as the bad guy, right? The 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 people who are putting people out of of their homes or maybe not taking care of homes that they own. But if they don't exist if they don't own those properties and make them available to tenants, then you have another problem, which is that there isn't sufficient housing. Um, are, are you hearing from landlords that they may not be able to continue to own the properties that uh, that they're renting? Yeah, you know, that's a great pay, a great point, Stephen, and I appreciate you bringing that up. You're, you're absolutely right. There's a whole spectrum of landlords, just as there's a whole spectrum of tenants and, and any uh, group dynamic. Um, but yeah, certainly a, a lot of my clients are very anxious um, as the virus progresses, as um, you know, they are unable to avail themselves of some of their remedies after they've exhausted, you know, uh, many opportunities to try and negotiate with a lot of tenants. And um, there's a lot of anxiety about being able to keep the property, um, being able to make the mortgage payment. They are dependent on the rents to do so. Uh, they're dependent on the rents to make capital improvements into the properties. Um, so it is a symbiotic relationship that um, has broader consequences for the property at large if they can't make those mortgage payments. Yeah. Um, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, let's go to Beverly in Detroit. Beverly, welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen. Thank Hi. you so much for sure. the opportunity. 
to speak on this housing crisis that we have. And it's not only just renters uh, facing eviction. We also have homeowners who are facing a potential auction in, in September and October from the Wayne County Treasurer tax uh, delinquency issues. And so while the Treasurer has called for a moratorium on foreclosure processes for the balance of 2020 in relation to the issues that we're facing about COVID-19, he also needs to call the moratorium on occupied dwellings being auctioned off in September. Going into the auction. Um, So I I, I absolutely agree with you, Beverly. I, I think because they're not doing foreclosures, that there shouldn't be properties available to go into the auction this fall. Now, I don't, I don't know for sure that that's uh, the case, but because uh, there may be some other properties that that are held over from from previous uh, from previous times. But um, but my understanding is that putting that moratorium in place on foreclosures themselves should uh, cancel that housing auction. Uh, but we will look into that and, and make sure. But but again, this is a temporary fix, as as uh, our previous guest was pointing out. And at some point, we'll go back to the idea that people can lose their homes because they're behind on their taxes. And a lot of those people, those homeowners, will be in desperate economic shape because of COVID-19. And so we've got to start thinking of ways to shore up uh, people's ability to to pay their taxes uh, and and be able to, to keep their homes. Beverly, I really appreciate your calling and raising that issue. Uh, I, I want to go to uh, a, a particular caller here who uh, is a landlord and is dealing with this from the other side uh, of the issues. Megan Van Est is someone who we met uh, two summers ago when we, uh, during our WDET book club, we're talking about the book Evicted by Matthew Desmond and having book club meetings all over Metro Detroit. Megan uh, and her dad uh, are, are landlords and would come to a lot of, uh, a lot of our, our book club meetings and talk about the issues that they faced uh, with, with their properties and tenants. Megan, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, it's great to hear from you. Um, tell us what's going on with uh, you and uh, the property that that you own and and the tenants that you have there. So I bought my first property over the summer, and I have a private land contract on it. Um, it's still due. I've still been making payments on it. Um, I have a tenant in there that is um, involved in the auto industry. And she has been laid off and has not been able to receive unemployment. Um, she owes me over a month and a half's rent um, and water bills. And I'm still paying. Um, and she, you know, I, I would love to be able to just tell her we're square. Um, but I have taxes coming up. Mm. Um I have to keep this property afloat. And if a lot of the small time people like me are forced to sell and more big corporations take over these, you know, small time, it's, it's putting small business owners out of work. And, you know, I mean, my dad has um, 38 properties. Mm-hmm. He's got about a third of people paying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the people that are unable to pay have kind of always had the problem. It's hitting the people who've been worse off first sure. 
um, you know, I mean, we've, we have two suspected cases. Um, thankfully, we haven't had any deaths yet, um, no fatalities in our community over here. But, I mean, it feels like, you know, we're opening the economy, we're forcing people back to work, and it feels like they're the sacrificial lambs because we both have bills to pay. Yeah. I, I struggle with it. So, so, Megan, give me an idea of, I mean, that's a great snapshot of what you're dealing with right now. Cast that forward to the fall or to next year. Do you think that you're going to be able to hold on to this property that you just recently bought and started to rent, or will you have to will you have to give it up? Um, I'm very hopeful that everything will work out. I'm not sure what the economy has to bring in the long term. Um, I'm very nervous. I'm trying my absolute best to work with this tenant and keep her in her home. I think it behooves all of us to try and, and work with them and have conversations and not, you know, make it worse. Um, if she needs to be let out of her lease, that's something we could talk about, you know, without um, further financial hit. I, you know, I, I guess it's just going to be one day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Megan, I really appreciate uh, you calling and, and, and sharing your story and, and being really honest about the, the difficulty and the tension here, uh, trying to figure out how to maintain your property, but also maintain this home that, uh, that your tenant uh, is, is, is living in. Megan, thanks very much uh, for calling in. Uh, Matthew Pallets, I want to give you a chance to, to respond to what Megan's talking about and, and give us an idea of what the, what the idea of relief looks like here. Yeah, I mean, you, you feel for Megan, um, you know, you sense the frustration and the anxiety. Um, and yeah, the, the, she still has her obligations that she has to make. And that is codependent on rents coming in. Um, and she, like many of my clients, they, they don't want to see, obviously, um, you know, vacancies. They don't want to see people out in the street, especially to exacerbate a, a health crisis. Um, I, I blogged about this on our website at palacelaw.com about how to collect rent during this time, and it's just about maintaining civility, having communication with the tenants, um, and, and trying to continue to work to see if you can find some sort of reasonable accommodation. Um, the reason why we're saying that, you know, we're asking that the eviction moratorium not be extended anymore is that it's for those opportunities or those cases where they just have a breakdown in the relationship and they can't find that common ground that's then what the judges are there for that's what they've always been there for to resolve those disputes and at least get them on a path um, to having some sort of positive cash flow again just because the eviction moratorium is 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 lifted at some point it doesn't mean that there's going to be these wholesale switch light switch that's going to get turned on at evictions there's still going to, i've talked to many judges around the state there's going to be um you know many many opportunities to try and continue to work out some sort of resolution, but if it does fail, then at least the landlord's right is protected. Um, going forward, it's, it's, yeah, it's very uh, troubling to see how uh, landlords and tenants are going to get uh, continual relief to see how um, you know, we can sustain our economy and sustain housing, which is a, a very vital part of the foundation of that. Um, when we have unstable housing, as, as you had pointed out, and even as the prior guest had pointed out, um, you know, we go back to the days of the recession where you see all these properties going back to the bank. That that um, would really be uh, cataclysmic as far as 
um, creating more homelessness. That We don't need landlords to be unstable. That's the bottom line. Uh, again, Megan, I really appreciate uh, you calling in and sharing your story with us. Let's go to Dessa in Detroit. Dessa, welcome to the show. Hi there. Good morning, uh, both of you. I was calling to complicate the conversation even further. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I am, a, <laughs> I am a person with a disability. I'm a wheelchair user. And so you can imagine um, how difficult it is to find affordable housing here in Detroit. If you also need affordable, accessible housing, mm. your options are incredibly limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 37 years old, and this is the first year of my life I've ever lived in an accessible house. And I had to buy a house. And make it accessible. Wow. There are so few rental properties or um, existing homes for sale that are usable for people like me. There's 76,000 people in disability with, I mean, in Detroit with um, mobility disabilities. And we have just an extreme shortage of housing for those of us who need ramps and um, doorways that are wide enough for wheelchairs, et cetera. Um, And in terms of the impact of COVID, you know, we've seen nursing homes where, um, you know, a lot of elderly people live, but also some disabled people live um, because they cannot find accessible housing. And uh, in a time where we need to be able to socially distance and take care of ourselves, nursing homes are not necessarily the best choice for people, especially if they're not living there for any reason, except for the fact that they can't find accessible housing. Mm. Uh, so we have we have a long way to go, and <clears throat> we're doing a lot. <clears throat> excuse me, we're doing a lot of advocacy around increasing the amount of accessible housing in Detroit. But what people, what non-disabled people need to realize is that this is not a small problem. There's a lot of us, but also this is a problem that impacts every single family as people age or become injured. And um, a good accessible design works for everybody, not just disabled people. So it's the right investment to make. Right, right. Uh, Dessa, I'm really glad you called and complicated the conversation, uh, as you said. Um, Matthew Pallets, before we before we end, I want to give you a chance to respond to what she's saying. It seems to me that this makes it even harder for landlords to be able to make their homes accessible. That costs money and you've got to be able to afford it and and maintain it yeah Stephen, uh, you you echo her it's a great point um and that comes with being able to collect rents uh being able to work with tenants uh to to have uh, rental income come in so that they can make capital improvements to the property and they can obviously uh, make accommodations as they become requested uh, for physically disabled individuals um but yeah as, as i said the, the, all i'm trying to do is is try to um you know, let people know that this crisis is affecting landlords as well as tenants, and and that's what I'm trying to convey today. Okay, Matthew Pallets, Metro Detroit attorney who represents landlords and property owners. Great to have you here with us. Thanks for joining the show. Oh, thank you, Stephen. Yeah. All right. Up next, we are going to talk about a new media collaborative that I've been working on for a few years. Bridge Detroit launched yesterday. We're going to meet two members of the staff. Stay with us on Detroit Today.